confident in a chaotic world. I don't think it's controversial to say that our world is pretty chaotic, uh, generally, but honestly sometimes our own lives as well. There are periods of chaos and if you haven't had a period of chaos in your life then you must be very young because those days of chaos are surely coming upon you at some point. Uh, what's chaotic in our world today? Um, the Brexit negotiations seem to be pretty chaotic. I'm not making a political point, just how it looks, right? Misinflation generally in the Middle East is chaotic. ISIL and many other situations there. We look around the world. Um, a certain president of a certain country appears within himself to be quite chaotic, according to the tweets that come out from him. Um, I looked up a website that investigates uh, or looks at how much conflict there is in the world today. And as of the end of last year, I haven't got statistics for this year, but as of the end of last year, they said that there were only 10 countries in the world where there was peace. 10 out of well, about 190 countries in the world, something like that. The United Nations recognizes something like that. So only 10 countries defined as in either external, they're involved in conflicts outside their borders, or they have some kind of conflicts within their borders, whether it's terrorism or civil wars. Only 10 countries in the world. I'll tell you what they are if you're interested. Yeah, I thought you would be. Um, and some of them you might anticipate, and some you wouldn't. So, well, Botswana has no conflict at all. So peace. Not allowed, right? What's that? Because it takes us not allowed to conflict. No, no, that's right. It's the law. Uh, Botswana aren't too bad. Botswana. Chile is another one. That's had a lot of conflict in the past, but it's at peace at the moment. Costa Rica. Another one where Penny's mother was born. There you go. Must be why. Uh, Japan. That, that's one you might guess. Alright. <laughs> Definitely not Spain. <laughs> no. Mauritius is another. Um, Panama is another. Qatar. Uruguay. Surprising to me, Vietnam. Considering all the conflict it's had in its history, but at the moment it's, it's a peace. And one you might predict, Switzerland. They are permanently at peace. I think it is the law. Actually, it's in Switzerland. Not allowed to have any conflict. So, uh, but outside of those ten, there's not one other country in the world. I mean, thinking about our own and about the conflict we have here, terrorism, and so on. Anyway, so, but not only that, not only do we have if you like, global conflicts, but we have a lot of challenges in our own society and all societies of the world with other kinds of chaos. Um, <coughs> suicide is, I think, evidence of internal chaos. Uh, suicide is the uh, most significant killer of young men between, what, 18 and 27 or 28 or something like that? Well, yeah. um, 
Charlie Hine, some of you will know Charlie Engineer, old friends of many of ours from Ireland. Uh, Charlie's had two nephews in their 20s commit suicide in the last 12 months in his own extended family. And I dare say some of us know, either in our own family or people we've known growing up, who've had that kind of challenge. Um, depression is common and um, likely to afflict many of us, if it hasn't already, in this room. That's not an ethical or moral judgment, it's just a, a fact. Mental health issues, is it one in three? Is that what the state they say? <coughs> one in four people will be affected at some point in their life by these things. And, and we know that. We, we have family and friends in these situations. And I could go on with lots of information and statistics, but I'm not going to belabor the, belabor the point because I don't think we'd argue that there's a tremendous amount of chaos in our world and in our own hearts, lives, minds, souls, and so on. I want to read for you something, an excerpt from a speech given, by, given earlier this month by Professor Helen Stokes Lampard, who Penny would know of, who's the chair of the Royal College of Practitioners. And she gave an annual conference speech in which she relayed the story of one of her patients called Enid, noting that her real problem wasn't medical, it was loneliness. She said, I chatted to her, I listened, I did what all good GPs do, I saw the world through Enid's eyes for our fresh, precious few minutes together. Enid didn't need more drugs to cheer her up or mask her pain. She needed a cure for her loneliness. She needed human contact. Helen added that isolation and loneliness are akin to a chronic long-term condition in terms of the impact they have on our patients' health and well-being. And she revealed that an increasing number of GP appointments are taken up by elderly patients who simply want someone, someone to talk to. Loneliness, emptiness, chaos, it's rife uh, in our world. So we're here to talk about this and see what light the scriptures, Bible, and the Christian experience have to shed on this. And we're not here to look down on anybody who has these challenges because most of us have had them, or will do. I've had my own struggles with bouts of depression. And um, we're not here to provide silver bullets and say, ah, the answer is just this or that, just pray more or have more faith. These things are more subtle and relationship with God is more subtle than just simplifying things down to that level. So we're not here to do that. But I think we are here because all of us have at least a belief or a curiosity or a supposition that uh, what Jesus has to say has some bearing on these issues <coughs> and really can help and make a difference. So that's what we're going to do. This scripture is our theme for today in Matthew 11, in verse 28. It says, come to me, this is Jesus speaking, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What a wonderful promise. And surely if we could find this 
that will help us to deal with the chaos and challenges of our lives. So we're going to be talking about this today. And I've asked uh, Penny and Kate to come and join me up here because we're going, I'm going to have a, ask them a few questions about their understanding of some of these issues from their professional perspective as a therapist and counsellor, in Kate's case, and a GP in Penny's case, their perspective on these things professionally, but as Christian professionals. And I think it would be really illuminating to discuss some of these things with them, see what they have to say, and then we're going to have a bit of a discussion with all of us in a few minutes. Alright, so can I ask Penny and Kate to come and join me in the hot seat? <laughs> Super. Alright. So, um, can, I, can we start just by, perhaps just Penny, if you could reflect on what I read there from um, that speech from, from Helen about how, how many of our health problems are caused by or exacerbated by emotional damage, psychological damage. Um, in, in terms of what you see in your surgery, the people that you come into consultations, um, how common is it that uh, easily the underlying issues or connected? I think statistically, about a third of consultations in primary care will have a mental health aspect. It might be loneliness. Uh, like you described, it might be anxiety or depression, stress, but it, 30% is a high proportion, and it's not necessarily what people come in that's worrying them, they'll come in because they've been getting palpitations and they're worried about their heart, or they'll, they might come in saying that they're stressed, but they might come in with a physical problem that is the result, and we know that our mental and physical health are very, very closely linked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you find that in the people that you, that you see? Um, well, many people come to see me for specific things um, related to trauma. But um, yeah, many people are lonely <coughs> in that um, having a community support mm -hmm. um, and they're vulnerable. Um, and so they're struggling, struggling with those feelings. In terms of the trauma, then, that, that, you, that work you do, how does that, how, do, how does it show up? You know, if people have this trauma that's within, yeah. or it's happened, something's happened, but it's, they're dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, how does it show up in people's lives? What causes them to, to think, oh, okay, I'll come and see you? Um, well, sometimes they do have physical symptoms, like panic attacks. Um, really chronic anxiety, um, but also if they've had childhood trauma, it's playing out again in their adult relationships. So they're they're struggling um, to get along with people, struggling to communicate, struggling to have relationships, meet people, um, or they're very reactive and they lack containment and moderation. So. Yeah, so they're kind of spilling out all over the place. They're raging. Um, they tell people all their business when they don't want to. Um, yeah, so they just they, they behave in certain ways and they begin to recognise that that's not helping them. And so they then seek help with, you know, how can I how can I um, talk myself out basically. Right, looking yeah. for a solution or yeah. some kind of help, some assistance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so 
So then they're going to try and pro process that trauma. You're going to try and help them. Yeah, so with trauma, you, part of it is emotional and your thinking, and also part of it is manifest in the body. So I tend to work with it both on a physical and mental and emotional level. Because trauma actually is, is kind of held, if you like, in your bones and your muscles. So it actually impacts your posture and um, mm. you can end up with syndromes like IBS or ME, um, so certain, certain conditions. Mm. Okay. So um, in terms of the challenges that people have, um, how, in your own opinion, and how you see these people that you've you spent time with, um, what's the, what would you say is perhaps the place where to start when trying to help someone find peace within, peace in their chaotic world? Where might you begin? What might be the beginning point, the starting point? I mean, obviously everybody's different, but you might see, but are there some, well, are some underlying principles of things that you think will be particularly helpful. And that's also for us as we think about our own issues, but also in helping other people. Do you have any thoughts on, on that? The biggest problem I have is when people don't actually, are not able to accept that there's a psychological side to their symptoms. And they remain convinced that it's a physical problem and and the medical profession are failing. And of course, we spend a lot of time doing our best to work out what medical problems are going on. And, and if, if somebody has a physical symptom, we will always work with them to at least exclude any relevant medical condition. But there are many times when I will have done a thousand investigations and seen somebody for the umpteenth time and said, do you know, I, I do think that there is a psychological element to this. And um, have you thought about that? Uh, and, and then for some people, when it becomes a real light bulb moment, it really helps them. Um, and then they can go and see somebody who's qualified. Uh, but that, that's the hardest part, I think, is uh, which perhaps doesn't necessarily relate to what we're saying here. Although I do think that if we are spiritual people and we have a lot of uh, physical symptoms that haven't been formally diagnosed, you know, if it has ever been suggested then that there might be a psychological side, then God promises that if we pray for wisdom, he will answer that prayer. And I think, you know, I certainly as a Christian pray a lot for wisdom to understand what's going on, whether it's with others, but in with myself, you know, if I'm unhappy or I'm, I'm stressed, then I can't always work it out, it's not always obvious, mm. and I'll often ask God, and he never fails, so mm. I, I found that really helpful. That's, a, that's an interesting point about, you can't go anywhere until you've got some insight, Yeah. Right. other people can't yeah. reach out until there's some yeah. insight, and it being that that needs to probably come from outside of ourselves. There's a limit to how much insight even another friend will have. Yeah. So God has ultimate insight. Mm. Good, that's a great point. Yeah. Do you want to comment on any of that? Um, so I agree 
uh, obviously have a different experience because people are coming in and so they have begun or they do recognise that there is an issue. Um, I suppose I take a bit more of a holistic approach, so looking at sometimes looking at foods that people eat, um, looking at their support network, um, look at helping them to see their we call it resources. <coughs> so helping them to see what they do have and not just what they don't have, and that everything becomes very negative. So, um, you know, in terms of their family, what friends do they have? <coughs> is there a community? Can they join groups? So if they're, if they're addictions, you know, 12-step meetings, and just to meet other people who have similar problems that they can relate to, and, and that can normalise things for them. That's I asked Charles uh, a couple of questions, and most of us will know, you know, Charles and his work as also as a, as a counsellor. And I asked him, well, I, I asked all three, but I, I got this reply from Charles on, on the question of, is it possible to find peace in a chaotic world? Really? I mean, is it actually possible? And he said, yes. He, uh, he sent me an email. Yes, with two exclamation marks. Uh, he said, I wouldn't do what I do in terms of his counselling work. I wouldn't do it what I do if I didn't believe this. It's possible to find peace. And I see daily how people find peace. So I, I really appreciate that, that there is hope there from this perspective. Let's, let's go on and talk about something else perhaps. Um, what would you say, um, in terms of this, what would you say are the limits of, of what you can do as professional people in, in helping people with these? I mean, where, where would you see the limits being? In terms of that, what you can do professionally, as opposed to uh, the, the spiritual side of life, that perhaps you can't get into quite so much, or if you can, but I, you know, where where are those limits? Would you say? Uh, medically, I will always look at what somebody might be able to do for themselves. Uh, there's there's actually a fantastic amount of self-help. Mm. Um, stuff available now. We've seen um, mental health enter the sort of popular arena, which I think is really positive. So I will do my best to signpost people to help themselves. Um, obviously, there's, there's our medical treatments and psychological treatments. And I I do ask people from time to time when they're completely stuck whether. They have a um, whether they have anything spiritual that they call upon at these times because I I certainly recognise that uh, even with skills like mindfulness, which is very popular at the moment, you can settle everything around you, but you can be left with this gnawing question of why am I here? And you, you know you can be acutely aware as you practice your mindfulness exercises of your heartbeat or your breathing, but they don't. That doesn't answer why we're here. And and I think these existentialist questions, um, medicine cannot answer. People have to find peace with the universe, peace with God, um, because when all is stilled, that's all we're left with. I think, you know, counselling has its limits 
and as a counsellor, I have my limits with what I can help people with. Yeah. <laughs> so they might need to go and see a psychiatrist, or they maybe mm, need right. to be hospitalised, and that's beyond my, you know, capacity. And I have to be honest about that. Um, I think it helps if if a person has a higher power or or a faith of some kind. And, but obviously, we're not allowed to really go into that. If someone has a higher power in recovery, then I can touch on that. I can't bring my own personal opinion. But if, if they have a faith, that can give them hope. Charles' comment on this was that um, everybody needs peace and purpose and fulfilment and contentment. And ultimately, that's only truly possible to find that with Jesus. There's loads of things beyond us, the existential mm. side of things that you, you mentioned. Um, well, that's very helpful. Uh, in, I suppose, well, one or two more questions, and then we'll have a bit of group, group work here, I think. Um, let's go a little more directly towards the spiritual side of things and our own faith here. Um, in, in your experience, what would you say is it about the teachings of the Bible, the, the life and teachings of Jesus, his character, that kind of thing, that's helped you in your professional life or personal, personal or professional life for that matter? What, what's, in terms of the, these, the people you see, the needs they have, what is it that you have found in your relationship with God that's been helpful? I think knowing that God is always there with me is very helpful. Mm -hmm. um, like, like Penny said earlier, I do pray for wisdom and insight every day um, so that I understand people better than I could just on my own. So that really helps me. Um, I also pray for, for protection, actually, that I'm not diminished by... I'm very sensitive, so so that I'm not diminished by other people's trauma right. and, and the energy all around that because it's quite intense. And your boundaries, healthy boundaries? Yeah, so I've, that's something I've had to do a lot of work on personally and research and practice and, and I teach people that. But um, I think God, God's teaching, the teachings about Jesus also help me to see boundaries. You know, so seeing how he loved people, um, he was very empathic, he wasn't judgmental, but he was quite firm and bounded in, in his, his way of life. And so that helps me, um, just, just in my life in general, but also with, with my work. Um, you know, Jesus went away to restore himself and be close to God and be replenished in his energy. Um, so that gives me, helps me to look at what are my limits and when am I getting tired and the fact that I too need to be replenished and that I, I can only give so much. So I think um, having, having God there is a great support and gives me a lot of guidance and having fun. Yeah. Thank you. Super. 
I think we live in a world uh, which is very material. You're on Facebook and the adverts are piling in. You watch the television. We live in a world where everybody's trying to sell us something. Mm. And it, even the ads where people are making a fool of themselves, they still have a beautiful home, a beautiful dog, or a beautiful car. And I, I think there's great pressure on all of us in the material world um, to succeed. And to succeed by the standards that have been yeah. told in our success. But whether it's the perfect child, or the perfect relationship, or the perfect sort of physical possessions. And I must admit, I think when I first became a Christian a long time ago, what's it, over 30 years now? It was no, it was almost a couple of years ago. Oh, and it wasn't even <laughs> Then I, I suppose the gospel, for me, the headlines were unanswered prayer, and that you know, if you pray hard enough, God will give you what you want. Um, and that you could somehow, I suppose, appeal to God, and if you nagged him enough, then... And actually, what I found was that an awful lot of things that I wanted didn't happen. And people in my life who I love struggled, and God didn't answer my prayers about them. Um, and, and I suppose I, I felt like I went through, I suppose, a reassessment. And I've come back, I think, in the last few years to just a more settled... When you look at Jesus, honestly, he didn't drive a designer. He didn't, you know... Uh, no, don't kill our character. Yeah, I know. I'll do a couple You know, somebody he borrowed <laughs> transport, isn't he? Um, oh, I was listening to this song this morning, um, Oh Lord... Won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Uh, My friends all drive Porsches. Yeah. I must recommend it. And this sort of health and wealth um, gospel, and it, you know, it's it's empty. I think is what I'd say. And learning to find peace and accept that God gives me strength, like Kate has said. God gives me wisdom. Um, God, God gives us an <coughs> eternal world that strengthens. Right. And fortifies and helps us walk through life, and that's that's actually way more valuable than the physical things. Right. Uh, so I, I suppose that's what I say. Investing in those mm. in, the, in that. Thank you. I, I just want to read Charles' response to this question because I rather liked it too. Um, so the question, um, what is it about the teachings of the Bible, the character of Jesus in life? Charles said, it's the concept of repentance. Which I thought was a very interesting response. It's the concept of repentance, or metanoia, the Greek word, because of neuroplasticity. Yeah. Now there's a word for you. Because of neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to form new neural pathways, we can change not just how we think, but our entire way of being it is a physiological process, not just a psychological one. When I think of repentance, my own, he's saying, uh, and what I read about in the Bible, I see it as God actually causing a physiological change in my brain. Wow. The, the repentance, that change of heart and mind, and then God changes the brain. That's how he views it. 
uh, he changes our way of being and our perspective miraculously. I really like that. I think that sounds like the introduction to a book he, he ought to be writing. But uh, that's another story. So I think this has been really interesting and hopefully helpful. Uh, thank you. I know this is quite stressful. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. We've all got now a few moments to think about our own responses to this. So what I've got here is a hand. You know I've asked a question. Not how to ask that question. You can call them afterwards. You have to book an appointment, Danny. That's right. Only £100 an hour. So, uh, it's my business manager there. <laughs> so what I have here is um, a handout with five different translations of this passage, which you might find interesting, different translations. And a question about this passage, about the promises about the yoke, and it's going to be, you're going to find rest for your souls. What does this promise of Jesus mean to you? What does it mean to you? How can it help you in a chaotic world? So I'm going to hand these out, and then maybe just turn to the person next to you, personally, and just discuss this for a couple of minutes, and then we'll see what we'll, what we'll find from that, and then we'll wrap up in a minute. So... Uh, let me hand these out. So just turn to someone near you first for me. Um, it's knowing that I can go and talk to God and knowing that He hears and He's listening and He knows what I need and He knows where I am and He knows His plan for me. That allows me to navigate many things. I'm, I'm quite a flight. Um, I even went and trained to get a pilot so I could overcome my fear of flying and it just reinforced why I shouldn't be afraid of Okay. I almost killed myself on the first time I went flying. That aversion therapy didn't work. Keep your hand up to school of plane and just take it off if you need it. You know, panic is a person. But it's, no, many times, I say that's fine because many times if I get turbulence in a plane, and I've been to dodgy ones, especially on the first I've um, And I just pray, I pray for God to stroke his finger through the air in front of the plane on the journey. Mm. And turbulence disappears. Mm. Nine times out of ten, not always. <laughs> uh, but one particular thing I say to Ben is, I've done a plane to come just descending to land, and the plane has been thrown around a lot. And, um, and I started to get hot and sweaty and concerned and worried and thinking of Etc. And, um, and I prayed for God just to, you know, to comfort me. And as soon as I finished the prayer, this little boy behind me just seemed to start giggling away like crazy. Mm. I just thought, come to me like little children. Mm. Just put my trust in you and it's all okay. And immediately I felt my shoulders rise, I felt myself coming up in my seat, I felt the weight coming off me. Um, and so it just, uh, I think in any form of chaos, that's just giving you a through it. Excellent. Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting thought about turbulence, and just to, to use it as a metaphor, yeah. generally, sometimes we pray for the turbulence to go away, and God doesn't take it away, because somebody else might need our turbulence. So, in the sense that somebody else might need what we're going through to see us go through it, to, to handle it, but God can still provide the peace for us, whether he takes the turbulence away or not. Thank you. Good. Okay. Um, yes. It may take a little bit, but um, 1985, we lost our little boy, and um, 
I'm very fortunate. I've never had depression, but I've been married to two people that have, and still have. And but they had a, a society in South Africa called Compassionate Friends. I'm talking in a group about your experiences. I found was fantastic. In some of the group, there was I mean, never forget a Muslim lady. They're, they're not allowed to grieve as such. They have to put on this bright face and have a party. And she particularly found that the group was um, good for her because she could actually talk to people in a different situation mm -hmm. and it helped. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I, had, I was a new Christian, but I believe the Holy Spirit is a big part of us. I believe that the Holy Spirit has changed me and looked after me. I'll give you an incident. About a year afterwards, um, my wife called me and said, have you seen the paper? And I said, no. Um, why? She said, because I put a commemoration in for Rory. And then she went off the phone. I was at work and I felt really upset. Now, the day before, I'd had a uh, Chaplin wanted to bring his wife to look at the diamond suite. And I was crying. And this chap came up with his wife and said, Are you alright? He said, I said, Well, I'm just upset because. He said, Well, I'm the local Afrikaans minister from the local Afrikaans church and I'd like to pray for you. Now, even now I talk about it, they hear it back to my head. That is definitely a God there's no doubt in my mind that the Holy Spirit was above me, looking after me, and said, right, you, here. And that's how I've looked, gone through life. It's, um, I'm not a fantastic preachable, preaching Christian, but I think my makeup, hopefully, is such that I seem to get on with most people. And and that's, that's, I believe the Holy Spirit is affecting that. So, so God, God provided some peace for you Absolutely. in a situation Absolutely. in a way you would not have anticipated. Absolutely. Which is often the way God And often He's there. And when I pray, I might not get the answer I wanted, mm -hmm. but I'll get the result. <laughs> You'll get the result you need. That's right. Isn't that interesting? I, mean, I think we could probably all share things so on. Super. Thanks for sharing, Bill. Thanks for being, you know, telling us about something very personal like that. Dan, did you want to share something? Yeah, I think, I think for me, um, the question of what did this promise of Jesus mean to you? How can it help you in this world, this chaotic world? I think it's because, um, for me, I've become a Christian in 1999. But becoming a Christian, for me, is not one life decision. It's a decision every day. For me to choose the world, or choose to follow Jesus, and I think one thing what, what when things are getting burdensome or stressful, whether it's work or it's family or whatever it, whatever it is, it's more more than life nine times out of ten is because I'm thinking about things in a lot of way, I'm handling it, reacting in a lot of way, and um, or I'm not contented. I was talking to Penny briefly about contentment. I'm quite interested to know how many people are coming to ill or contented with things. 
in their lives, what they have to do, what they're striving for. Um, and I think the world does try to sell us this life, but actually a stressful thing to try and get on. And actually, Jesus doesn't want us to live like that. I think, for me, a lot of my, uh, a lot of the, the promise, a lot of the stuff behind this promise of Jesus, is the fact that we've got to learn contentment with Jesus. Learning contentment, okay. And, um, yes, which is why we walk with him. And Jesus is a master of being contented no matter mm-hmm. what. I mean, he's in the storm, and he was still, and he was under control. And, and I think about the fact that Jesus was in the storm, walking on water. I mean, Jesus got to be there for the answer for me, no matter what it is. And, and it's that thinking more spiritually, you can walk with Jesus. Not try and think like Jesus, what you say, try and be with Jesus. Being with him. Being with him, not try yes. and, oh, I need to be more spiritual, I need to be more like Christ. Actually, I just need to be with him. I'd be contented, and then contentment will come, and then I'll feel less stressed, as opposed to I need to do better. Right. And I think that's the key to my Christian life. Well, I've, I've not quite worked it out yet. <laughs> when you do, <laughs> please let us know when you when you do figure it out. But that's a great point. We can't really kind of make ourselves be less stressed. Yeah. But if we're with the right person, if we're with Jesus. Yeah. Surely some of his contentment and peace will rub up on us and we'll learn from him. He does talk about the Lord. Well, I'm trying to share a little story. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to go on. But an example of that, you would say. An example of that was when my mum was dying, um, she had two or three, three um, weeks to live. Um, she got to the point where she could look after herself. And the person she was at the time was working and had to work. So between me and my brother and my sister, we went down to visit her and look after her. Um, and I was by myself and my mom watching her. <coughs> she had pancreatic cancer, so she was slowly dying and things were starting to give way. And it was absolutely awful. I didn't know what to do. But it was just absolutely an awful experience seeing someone die in that fashion. And that evening, I think the next day, my wife came down and walked into the room and I've never felt really like it. Mm-hmm. Just knowing more I could do with And I think that's what Jesus wants us to be like for us. She didn't greet me with special, just her presence was a massive comfort and a massive relief. The situation didn't change, the outcome didn't change. But I think sorry. It's okay. In our Christian lives, Jesus wants to be like that for us. Situation will change, but something things happen. But as we go through it, I think we can still be like that's so true. Well again, thank you for sharing something so personal. Um, I'm gonna wrap it up here. Um, I can't I can't ask anyone to follow that. <laughs> um, uh, that was really wonderful to share that, and and I have I do have some extra thoughts here, but I think after hearing that, I'm going to pass over. <laughs> sorry, sorry. And no, 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 no. That's that's wonderful. Um, but I do think that's his point. It's about being with and being yoked with Jesus. Is not to take on something hard. It's an easy yoke. In that another word for that is kind. You can translate that word kind. It's a kind yoke. He's with us. Uh, the word rest can be translated relief. It gives us relief. Like when Becky walked into the room, 
it gave you relief in that sense. Um, so that's it, it's a companionship. Discipleship of Jesus is companionship with him. And he's with us in our discipleship. And that gives us confidence in a chaotic world. Because he is with us, that's it. I'll finish with one last scripture. And then we're going to have a, Danny's going to pray for us, and we're going to have a song. He's going to pray for food. He's also going to pray for communion. We're not taking communion in the usual way today. The communion bread and wine are on the table over there. So after the service, he's going to help yourself to that. And Danny will pray for that. And then we'll have a final song. I'm going to read you this scripture that I think kind of encapsulates all of this. And I particularly love this scripture. It's from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have many needs. This world has many needs. But coming to the throne of grace is what we need those needs. And we have access to that through Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you to Kate and Penny especially. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody for sharing. And I'll turn over to Dan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Kate, to Penny, and to Malcolm. And to Michelle as well. Just give it a little round of applause.